Welcome to Live from My Office. No, no, please hold your applause. I can't hear it. I'm alone in my office. Wherever you're listening around the country or around the world, from the Midwest to the East Coast to the West Coast to the North to the South, in Canada, in Germany, in Spain, in Israel, we have listeners in the UK, in St. Martin. It's beautiful. We were there last fall. In Ukraine, God bless you all. In France, the Philippines, even in Uzbekistan and Kenya, all over the world, it's live from my office. Subscribe, rate, and review, and uh, please tell your friends to download. And when you subscribe, you never miss an episode. Today on Live From My Office, we're going to do a little something called the five stages of, for God's sakes, pick someone else. The Republican Party is at an absolute crisis point. And if it doesn't get its act together and pick someone else, it will lose again and lose the House and the Senate and most state houses as well, regardless of the gerrymandering because of the drag of Donald Trump. But I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. I want to break this down in as simple a theme, if you will, as possible so that maybe we all can learn from it. We did this on the radio on my, on my radio show. I'm on every morning on the Big 89 WLS in Chicago. It's 8.90 a.m. Listen on your smart devices. Stream it anywhere you are in the world. And uh, it went well in that the attempt I'm making to try to get you to consider other candidates is all about the need for a two-healthy-party system. I think we need three parties. Heck, I'd like four or five. But since we're living with two parties, there needs to be a healthy Republican Party, and this one ain't it. So... The people that aren't talking about the issues, the people that just want to talk about Donald Trump's whining for money or Donald Trump asking you to feel badly for him because he's having to face the justice system. this all of his own making. Let's get away from Trump for this. Let's do this, a dose of reality, and let's break this down into the five stages of grief. Now, I'm not even trying to be funny. I think it's an easy way to think about it. And of course, beginning with stage one, and that's denial. The danger of denial is the belief that Donald Trump can campaign and win while he dominates the news by trying to stay out of jail. Forty-six times we've elected presidents in this country. Ninety-one felonies have been charged for those 46 presidents. All 91 to number 45, Donald Trump. Staying out of jail for him is a full-time job. You can make the argument the only reason he's running is so that he can be elected and then make an effort to pardon himself. While that may or may not be true, what's important for you to know is it's just completely unrealistic, even if you're the most ardent Trump believer, that he can do the job while he is facing the justice system in this way. It's just, it just can't happen. It's too much of a time suck. Now, many people have Trump fatigue, and the middle will turn out to vote for president. But the question is, in the meantime, will the Republicans nominate Trump, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, literal trials next spring? I'm asking you to take a listen to what I have to say in this episode and to consider the other candidates. Federal trials, there's no TV. State trials, there is TV. And in, in the case of Donald Trump and at least two of his uh, trials, he's got to be there. Um, that's not good for Republicans, because when the trials that are in the state courts in Georgia and New York are on TV, it's going to be a continued 
O.J. Simpson like barrage of Donald Trump and the trouble he's caused and the trouble he's in. That's what you want. That's what you want to represent you. Meanwhile, it's a money question. The RNC has already paid $40 million in Trump legal fees. Uh, experts say that will double at least. That's bad because then the RNC can't make contributions to down-ballot candidates, candidates around the country that have winnable races because they're spending too much money on Trump lawyers. And then there's the 14th Amendment. Uh, esteemed Harvard professor, professor Lawrence Tribe said, look, he's not even eligible. Trump in the 14th Amendment, because of what he did on January 6th, even without the trial, was an act so flagrant that he is well within the bounds of being considered as someone who uh, advocated for the overthrow of the government. He doesn't have to be charged with treason. His actions were treasonous. His words were treasonous. And Tribe, who knows a little bit about government elections and the like, says the 14th Amendment says he can't even run. All that remains to be seen, including the part where he could attempt to pardon himself. We know the Supreme Court has said in multiple occasions, there's no Hail Mary here. Even the Republican-leaning, heavily Republican-leaning Supreme Court will not bail him out. So he's going to have to face the justice system for the things he's done. How about this for the ultimate irony? If Trump is convicted of even one felony, he won't even be able to vote for himself. Oh, and the Republican Party in general is getting louder and louder almost every day about what Donald Trump has done and what they're no longer willing to support. So don't support it. Maybe you voted for him once. Maybe you voted for him twice. You don't have to vote for him again. There has never been a Donald Trump. There never should be another one. And he is not qualified or ready to return to the White House. He better focus on just staying out of jail. And that's just phase one. Phase two, it's the second stage. And the second stage is anger. There's a lot of anger out there. And the anger is palpable. And the anger is dangerous. I say this because it didn't just start or end with January 6th. One of the other reasons it's time for another Republican is that Donald Trump never tamps down the anger. Donald Trump always lights a fire under it. He gets himself a little bit of distance from it. Oh, people are upset. You're hearing it. I'm hearing it. People are angry. Well, the anger is dangerous. Remember, when the hooligans broke into the Capitol, stormed the Capitol, and threatened to hang Mike Pence, amongst other things. That had not happened, the storming of the U.S. Capitol, since the Brits burned it to the ground in the roar of 1812. I, I, you can't make it up. It's not a TV show, kids. 2,000 people invaded the Capitol. Capitol uh, more than 1,000 were arrested. Mitch McConnell said at the time, the people who stormed this building believe they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. Even then, it's a constant badgering. And the knowledge uh, that he had, that Mike Pence and all of Congress was in danger, it still took Trump three hours before he told those, those rioters to go home. That's not leadership. And that violates the oath of office. It violates common sense. violates basic decency. Now, I, I don't believe we're on the verge of civil war. But I do believe that Chris Christie was right when he said, we need to raise the standard. We need to stop normalizing this. 
We need to raise the bar for the White House, whoever is president, because actions matter. This is not about party. This is about America. And anger can kill this country. You know, Bill Clinton should have lost his job in 1996. I think he's one of the smartest guys to ever sit in the White House. He also did one of the dumbest things. He took advantage of an employee, and not just an employee, an intern. A female intern caught up, starstruck, whatever the case may be. Sure, by the numbers, she was an adult, but he was the authority. And when we allowed Bill Clinton to remain in office, well, that changed the rules of that office. And I'll set the stage for where we are now. You need to tamp the anger down. Any responsible person in authority would do just that. So, yeah, not a civil war, but there's plenty of nuts out there. And Trump talks about the anger. He never says shut it down. He's never presidential about it. And the fact of the matter is, without him telling his people that he will not support it and he doesn't condone it, well, what would stop another crazy incident from happening? A trial on Trump's role in January 6th will decide his fate. We need a Republican grown-up. Without one, the damage of January 6th can repeat again. Look, I'm angry, too. I'm angry about Congress, about prices at the grocery store. I'm angry that people don't listen to each other anymore, and that the greatest country on earth is coming apart, but it doesn't have to. Pick another Republican. You know, on April 10th, Trump called the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg a criminal. A few days later, Bragg got an envelope and a letter laced with white powder and an expletive. In Georgia, Trump has long been calling the Georgia grand jury investigation a witch hunt. Almost immediately after the indictment listed the grand jurors' names and addresses, NBC News reported their personal identifying information was then posted on a fringe website that often features violent rhetoric. And on Trump's Truth Social site, a subscriber wrote, I see a swift bullet to the head if and when somebody shows up at any of their homes. That's not America. We can't tolerate that. Amplifying concerns about the impacts of Trump's rhetoric on social media is the arrest of a Texas woman who left a threatening voicemail for one of the judges in these cases, said, you're in our sights. We want to kill you. The woman uh, called the judge, an African-American, a racial slur and warned, if Trump doesn't get elected in 2024, we're coming to kill you. So tread lightly, bitch, according to that filing. Look, it's clear. The anger that's out there can be dangerous. The anger that's out there can be legitimate. But there's a clear line between those two things. And Trump not only doesn't seem to see it, worse than that, he doesn't seem to be bothered by it. And that's just the second phase. Phase three, let's talk about bargaining. Bargaining is the ability to negotiate. You remember Donald Trump when he went into the White House, said he's the greatest negotiator of all time. And to be fair, he did have some victories. But the rest of the story is not good. He had two years of a Republican House and Senate to get things done. He didn't. And on the international front, the former president's tendency to push important allies away and isolate America, including pulling out of landmark deals, well, people across the world express negative views on Trump, the Pew Research Center, nonpartisan, in January of 2020, released a survey of 32 countries that showed 64% of 
said they did not have confidence in Donald Trump in world affairs. You can chart the decline of America's standing in the world to the time that Donald Trump spent in office pissing people off. And obviously, Trump's handling of the coronavirus was a mess. His void in global leadership hurt our efforts in Afghanistan and set the stage for the Biden disastrous uh, pullout in Afghanistan as well. China has rushed to fill in where we failed. And then there's North Korea. Trump gave in to Kim Jong-un. He got the cred, Kim Jong-un did, and the world attention. And his nuke program hasn't changed a bit. There's a lead negotiator in the world of nuclear diplomacy that says you need a whole battalion of experts and enough technical competence to be able to understand the parameters of the debate. You may not have to understand the physics of uranium purifications, but you must understand more or less what it means to have an enrichment centrifuge. You think Donald Trump understands that? No. On immigration, Trump got a government shutdown and no money for his wall because you remember Mexico was going to pay for it. He requested $5 billion that would only build a few dozen miles of border fence and shore up what was already there. It's all a hot mess. What we do know is the governors in the race for the White House and all of them, DeSantis, Bargram, uh, Christie, and Nikki Haley, all of them have regular negotiating experience. And Nikki Haley, maybe more than the rest because she was also UN ambassador. There are choices. And that's the whole point of presenting these five stages as we move on to stage number four. Stage number four is depression. People say 300 million plus people in this country and we're stuck with these choices. Look, giving up doesn't change anything. And none of this is going to be fixed overnight. But sitting it out is not an answer. In reality, yeah, both parties are to blame. The constant bitching back and forth that creates a hopelessness. And those who are hopeless are less likely to vote. Those who have financial stress are less likely to vote. Those who deal with being confronted by angry relatives who don't want to talk about politics, well, they're all less likely to vote. And certainly if they're threatened at the polling place or even threatened about voting, yeah, they're less likely to vote. This matters more in the primaries than the general, because in the general, people do show up. But the primaries determine. Who gets into the finals, the final two? So if you're of the mindset or know somebody that is, it says, why bother? What's the point in voting? Things are so screwed up. Our system is so broken. They're not wrong and you're not wrong. But nothing gets fixed if you sit it out. A 2020 Mayo Clinic survey said 65% of people questioned had significant stress related to the 2020 election. It's actually called election stress disorder. It's a thing. The American Psychiatric Institute uh, says it's affecting people on both sides of the aisle with constant media coverage, uncertainty, volatile election issues, social media bitching. That's just some of the reasons that people are on edge. Voter fatigue, a lack of belief. It all leads to apathy. And apathy, again, fixes nothing. So how do you deal with legitimate depression over the state of America? Stay informed. But don't live in it. Don't turn on Fox or MSNBC or even CNN and just leave it there all day. Research the candidates that affect you most, and that's the local candidates. Throw that hula hoop on the ground, look around, and whatever you can see from your hula hoop, that's what affects you the most. Ballotpedia. 
That's one great source for researching candidates. Who's voting the way you want them to vote? What are the important issues to you? Ballotpedia.org. But I'm not kidding. Whatever you can see from your hula hoop, fix your neighborhood, fix your kids' schools, fix that first. We need to have faith. We need to have faith in the news, and people do not. We need to have faith in national institutions, and people do not. We need to have faith in faith, and people do not. Stop going to church. So while you may well think there are two bad choices between Trump and Biden, it doesn't have to be those two choices. At a New Hampshire town hall, Nikki Haley talked about immigration, foreign policy, and mental health. She said one in four people has a mental health issue. So look around. But if treated, you can live a perfectly normal life. And why aren't we saying that to people and giving them the help they need? Chris Christie, same deal, New Hampshire, another town hall. May talked about mental health at that event and said it's a top priority if he wins the White House. DeSantis has talked about it. Tim Scott has talked about it. Now, granted, a lot of the GOP talks about it in relation to that's the fix for the gun problem in this country. No, but it's part of the story for sure. So decide what you want. Do the homework. Get off the constant social. If something pisses you off on social media, don't just blindly forward it. Do a little research, figure out if there's any truth in it. And just know that overexposure to social media is another factor that could aggravate someone's state of mind and cause depression. Stage four. Stage five. Stage five is acceptance. You go from denial to anger to bargaining to depression to acceptance. And in this case, acceptance means you realize it can't be Trump and you got to pick somebody else. So for this, let me bring in my old friend, Pat Brady, uh, and uh, let's talk it over now on Live From My Office. All right, now the perfect finishing touch to the five stages of, for God's sakes, pick someone else. Uh, the alternatives in the GOP with my friend Pat Brady, a lifetime Republican, former head of the Republican Party in Illinois. He eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff. He knows all of these candidates. He's done the hard work, the heavy lifting, and he can help spur you on to do the same for you as we roll through this campaign. Hi, Pat. Hi, Steve. Nice to have you back on. All right, I'll throw you a name, and you give me what you have on him. Let's start with the most unknown of those that appeared in Milwaukee, and that's the the governor. Is it Doug Burgum? Yeah, Burgum. Uh, Dakota governor, he um, fashions himself as a Reagan conservative. He's a billionaire, uh, I think one-term governor out there. He actually did a pretty nice job in the debate. I thought he didn't get much exposure. Uh, I mean, no chance he's going anywhere. And he kind of he bought himself onto the stage in the last debate, and he's trying to do it again this time. They're they're organizing a way for him to get the get enough exposure to get on the debate stage. But probably not a horrible candidate. But I don't know what he thinks he's doing. You know, running for president, where no, absolutely nobody knows who he is, um, and he's from a state that most people don't focus on. Uh, he doesn't have a chance, but not a bad guy. So what 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 would his end game be? I mean, he's a very smart guy, obviously. He's an accomplished guy. The only answers in my head are ego or he's got a plan. What do you what do you guess? Probably ego. I mean, he hired the same team of consultants that uh, these guys, Mike Zolnarovich and these losers that just <laughs> the Richard Irvin campaign was a good idea. 
spent $56 million and moved out of the state. So it, it, then I'm sure they convince him that he can make some kind of play. But, and that's what these consultants do. Oh, yeah, you got a shot. I didn't have a shot. They're just going to raise, make a bunch of money. And but I, I say it's, I don't really know the guy personally, but it's more of an ego play. But, you know, he's got the money. If he wants to do it, fine. If he brings some good ideas to the table, fine. But uh, he, he's not policy-wise. I think he's he's a pretty solid conservative Republican, but I don't think he has much of a chance. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, I think we both agree, smart guy and yep. an accomplished guy. Again, nobody knows him. Um, and, uh, he sort of finessed his way on stage in Milwaukee. He feels, he feels, he feels like a guy that's, that's going to be a cabinet post though for somebody. Yeah, that's probably with same with Burgum too. Uh, maybe Asa Hutchinson has been around forever of a, a Reagan Republican, a good solid conservative. Um, and, and, and he was head of the DEA too. He, good guy, smart guy, but you know, no name ID and not a lot of money and nothing really to run on, but probably, like you said, running for a cabinet spot. So uh, if you go through those two and you start to work your way uphill, the remaining six uh, get a little more interesting, I think. Um, Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, you had an interesting take. We were talking off the air about this on him at the debate because I know you like him. Everybody likes him personally, but you also know him to be a smart guy, but he really didn't impress you in Milwaukee, right? Now he presented himself like a Senator, which far, you know, facts and figures and policy and nothing from really from the heart other than when he talked about his family and his, his, his background, he does have a great compelling life story. It, he would be probably a pretty good candidate, but he just didn't appear ready for prime time in during the debate. And I've seen him since he just doesn't seem like he's, he, he's ready yet, but he is just a, a fantastic Example of a good conservative uh, from a state that's been <laughs> done very well. So, I, I, unless something changes here in the next couple of months, we are a long way out. I think he'll just stay in the second tier for until the end. And if you're going to cast a reality show, one of the, the the characters you'd have is the rich young upstart with way too much confidence and no accomplishments. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, not a fan. Not at all, because what comes out of his mouth. Uh, about half of it's a lie. And then when he gets caught in the lie, he denies it. He's, he's an opportunist. He's got a bunch of money. He is an in your face kind of guy, irritating after the, you know, the second hour of the debate. I think a lot of folks found him quite irritating. Now he's going to stir some stuff up for a while. And there's always a shiny object in these primaries. Every time there's always somebody that kind of jumps out in the early States and it makes a big stink, but uh, then that's him right now. But, I'm not sure how much staying power he has when they're starting to dig into his background more. Uh, he never really voted. He's a big donor to Democrats. He's, voted, he's supported Democrats. He's got, has some really weird policy issues. He believes that nine 11 was potentially a conspiracy. This and that nonsense. Talk about an eliminator. Yeah. I mean, just, just stuff that's crazy. And he's an election denier type. I mean, he doesn't say it now, but if you look at his book and then in back when he wrote his book, which is only what two years ago, he trashed Trump pretty heavily for being a fraud and, and a crook and everything. So he's going to have a lot to deal with, but he hadn't had enough scrutiny yet to been knocked down a peg, but I know he did well in the kind of the flash polls after the debate, but now they're peeling the onion back a little bit and realizing kind of what a fraud he is. Uh, speaking of frauds, I, I don't know that he's a fraud because I don't know that he's from this planet. I, I, I can't, I can't figure out in any way, shape or form, Mike Pence. Um, he did his absolute duty, and what should have been a routine job, 
on uh, January 6th. His life was then in danger, and then he was the only one acting presidential from the Trump team. Um, but in the meantime, his life was in danger, and uh, there was a threat to hang him if people had gotten a hold of him. Who knows what could have happened to him? Yet he still has this faux loyalty to Trump. Um, and he sort of felt to me on the debate stage, he almost got a little Al Gore. Remember in 2000 when Bush and Gore were going on, somebody got to Gore and said, you got to be more animated, and suddenly he was yelling about everything? Um, that sort of felt like Pence to me. I mean, what do you make of Mike Pence? Yeah, the, number, the kind of the poll numbers and some of the fundraising I've seen since the debate, I think a lot of people somewhat liked what he did. And I actually like Mike Pence. He was obviously Indiana, former Indiana governor, was here a lot. He's a good guy. Just did a lunch thing with him a couple months ago. Could not be a nicer man. And the, the problem he has is he's not Trumpy enough for the Trumpies, and he's too Trumpy for the anti-Trumpers. So he's right in the middle, and he gets criticized for two things, doing the right thing. First of all, when he's vice president, he was loyal to his president, which you're supposed to be. When you take that job, you're supposed to support the president. And I, I get that there were things that Trump did that maybe somebody should have stepped out on it. It probably should have been leadership in Congress. But Pence did his job there. And then when he really got pushed on January 6th, he completely did his job. He upheld the Constitution. He defended the Constitution. He called Trump out and did the right thing. But he didn't seem to be getting any credit for it because the lunacy of the, the, the Trump wing of the party you know, portrays him as some kind of traitor. But no, he just did the right thing, but he just doesn't seem to be able to get the momentum. Now, that being said, he's a, a Christian conservative and that Iowa, that whole, you go west of Iowa City, basically, or maybe northwest of Des Moines, that's heavy, hardcore Christian conservative uh, territory. And he could do better than expected in Iowa. If he gets a second or a third in Iowa, then he'll probably see some life. But I'm not sure if he has enough for the long haul, given that he's going to go, you know, Trump's going to come after him directly. So how does that work with the big money donors? Does the money follow momentum or are there some candidates that just aren't going to get paid regardless of how they may or may not be doing? Money generally follows the momentum and there's so much money washing around in politics right now. And there's another case working its way through the system where it's going to just at some point, if this case if they prevail, it's going to be unlimited donations, and it's so messed up. Uh, and the story after this election, I promise you, is going to be on the class of political consultants that make tens of millions of dollars on these campaigns, and they don't care if their candidate wins or loses. They just care if they get paid. And, and they'll tell you, oh, I'm not getting paid. Well, they are getting paid because they get a cut of the media buy. That's why we see the commercials. That's why we see the mailers. That's why we see all the ads. Because they take, what, 12% of that. So so the deal then is they're essentially an advertising agency in that regard, and they get a fat number off where they buy the ads? Yeah, like, for example, the guys that ran the Herbert campaign last time. I, I think I got a mailer a day on that, which they take a cut from, trying to define um, Darren Bailey is not a conservative. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> One stupid mailer after the next, they don't care. They're getting a cut off of the TV commercials. They get a cut off that. So everything they do, they get a cut off of it. And they sell themselves to these billionaires as, okay, we can do this for you. But then, again, it's an ego play, but they're just not successful. The point being that these consultants are kind of controlling where the money goes, and it's all a big racket. But right now, um, the money follows whatever money that's out there is follows the, the polling. And what the Republicans have started to work on more, which they need to, is the more uh, small dollar donors where the Democrats tend to dominate. So if you go beyond Pence, I would argue, regardless of the poll numbers right now, that uh, Ron DeSantis is no longer second in the race. I'd say he's no better than fourth. 
Um, he was not impressive in Milwaukee. He's still a very bizarre, I don't know, almost Jeb Bush-like robot. Um, what's the deal with Ron DeSantis, and do you see him higher than fourth at this point? No, I agree with you. He's taken a tumble since the debate. There's always a candidate, too, like we saw it with Jeb Bush eight years ago. Oh, this guy's got it wrapped up. He's got all the money. He's the front runner. And you know what? Then they're not. And the only guy that's ever recovered from that kind of status, front runner status, got creamed and came back was John McCain. He was front runner and then he was yeah. down at 2%. Yeah, yeah. He was at 3% and then fought his way back with our buddy General Borling. They did that veterans tour and fought his way back. So I, I, DeSantis, he's just not a good retail candidate. Remember, he's only a one-term governor. They portrayed him as the next coming of – people forget a guy like Reagan campaigned for 35 years. Right, exactly. Was and, was governor, and was governor of California and the head of the Screen Actors Guild. Yeah, just but had you know been doing it forever. So you've got your shtick, your speech, your you know how to deal with people. And on top of the fact, Reagan had you know all that camera time. DeSantis just, to me just never seems comfortable. I've heard it from others that know him well. I've only met him a couple of times, so I don't really know him. But people that know him well, he's just not a uh, a warm and fuzzy guy. That's not taking anything away from him from being smart. And he's been a patriot. He served the military. But he just doesn't seem to, to connect. I mean, love or hate Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton knew how to do it. You know, Barack Obama knew how to do it. George Bush knew how to do it. Uh, Reagan knew how to do it. But DeSantis doesn't seem to have it. And I don't know why, particularly since he's chosen to engage in culture wars and not real big policy decisions. And that's great for the primary, but it's not going to win you the general. And uh, it brings us to the remaining two. And I think they're both interesting candidates. And I think they both have a shot, though they're on very different paths. One is the former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie. There's baggage there. Um, in a in a post Donald Trump world, I don't know that anybody has baggage that would keep him out of the White House if, in fact, they got on the right track. But he's the attack dog on Trump. Um, I think he's deeper than that. I think he's got something to say, um, and I think he's a legitimate force in this race. And no, I'm not talking about his weight. What do you think? I I agree completely. He's he's done just what he said he would do. And of all the people running, Christian, he's he's been through here a million times. I've been in a lot of small rooms with him. He's a very smart, articulate, well-thought-out reason guy. His answers are always good. And he has been an attack dog. And the, the theme of, I'm just going to tell you the truth, uh, which is what he did during the debate. He didn't get too wound up on Trump. He just laid it out. I think he's been, whether he prevails or not, I think he deserves a great deal of credit for actually doing what he's doing. And he caught all kinds of grief for it. But he's actually moving up in New Hampshire we're going to go back to the traditional presidential campaigning, I think, where you actually have to campaign in New Hampshire and meet all the voters. Trump skipped over that last time and got away with it. So he's he's got some momentum in New Hampshire and some of these other states. I think he'll do OK. Now, that being said, he may have gone a little too far on Trump. I'm not criticizing him for it. There's going to be that 20 percent, 25 percent now that we'll never like him because he went after Trump. But, you know, God love him for doing what he's doing. And if he does win, I actually be pretty good president. Um, and I, I think Nikki Haley would be a pretty good president. Now, as you said, there's lots of time between now and then. But she is the only one with the experience of being an accomplished governor who also went into the snake pit of the United Nations as her ambassador and uh, worked her way well through that, stood up to the various thugs of the world. And then uh, lastly, for me, stood up to Trump. Um, publicly did her job while she was working directly for him. But it since has separated herself, not completely, 
but has separated herself. And I hope she finds her own lane and runs with it because I think she's a real hope for the GOP if she does. Yeah, I think she kind of did find her own lane in that debate and a couple points. First, the big issue in this campaign is going to be when it comes around to the general election, this abortion issue is going to be out there. And Mm -hmm. it is a horrible, horrible issue for Republicans, particularly with suburban women. Horrible, terrible. Everybody agrees on that. Even Republicans are finally figuring it out. She gave the best answer on abortion as a pro-life Republican, but she gave the answer, we cannot demonize women. This is a tough issue, and there's a lot of things we agree on, but some of the extreme positions the Democrats take on late-term abortion, partial birth, parental notification, some of these other things that nobody likes. But she gave the best answer, and I think point one, point two, and this is just my own analysis that nobody has said so far but me, Barbie does $1.4 billion in five weeks. Right. It's a girl power movie. And she was so tough on that stage. She slapped down Vivek like nobody's business. She doesn't take any grief from anybody. And once her story gets out that people don't know yet about how she fought her way through the South Carolina legislature, fought her way into the governorship, the economic miracle she did in that northwestern part of South Carolina, Boeing, BMW, all the business she bought there. South Carolina is a very well-run state. Um, a, a lot of the credit goes to her. And the point three, if Republicans want to get more seats in the House or not lose the House and win back the Senate and get back to conservative, common sense, real Reagan type government, then she's the candidate. And can you imagine her at the top of the ticket if Republicans elect the first female president of the United States? Well, you know, it would be a fitting continuation of the world's upside down, wouldn't it? Yeah. But look at her. I mean, she everything she exemplifies, she's smart. She's a, a, you know, she's Indian American. She's got a great kind of immigrant story. Uh, very calm, very measured. Seems like a solid family situation. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything Republicans claim to want a fiscal conservative. She went after Republicans and Trump for spending too much, which hopefully that becomes an issue. So to me, she's the ideal candidate and people got to wake up and realize, do I want to be on the Trump train or the screaming yelling train or do I want to win? And I want to win. I don't like left of center governing. I just don't think it works. Well, no, and one party rule certainly doesn't work where you and I live in Chicago uh, and in uh, Cook County and in the state of Illinois. And frankly, it doesn't work in Texas where it's all Republicans. Uh, This country, you will always have half folks who don't agree entirely with what you do. And if we don't get back to compromise, we are in serious trouble. That's been the whole point of this week is to pick a grown up, pick someone who is not going to be about them 24-7, but they're going to be about about America. And, whoa, what a refreshing, crazy idea if we had a president of the United States that was about America. What, too, from just crash kind of political, uplifting woman, tough. I mean, that's what America is all about. That's why, you know, I was on the other side, obviously, with Obama. I love John McCain and put my life on hold for him. But it was inspirational that a country that had slavery 100 years prior elected an African-American. And then we get a, a, a woman, a first-generation, super smart woman. That's what the country is about, not this pig-headed Trump nonsense that we get every day. That's just not what it's about, whether you love or hate Trump. That's not what we're all about. We're better than that. Well, and, and, and this week, I have, and we've had these conversations on the golf course and on the phone for forever. But uh, this week, I've gone through the five stages of pick someone else, starting with denial on Monday, the denial being that you could run for president while you're fighting to stay out of jail and facing four felony counts. 
and then stay in the office and uh, serve. It's an, it's nonsense. It's insane. On Tuesday, we talked about the dangerous anger that he not only didn't tamp down, he lit and he continues to light the fire for even more of it. Dangerous, irresponsible behavior. On Wednesday, we talked about bargaining, that being who amongst these candidates would be best at negotiating, not just with the Democrats, but with the people of America as well, and with foreign powers, because, yeah, that still matters. And on Thursday, we talked about depression and how people are depressed. Oh, the choices suck. We got uh, Joe Biden, who's uh, too old to not be around his nurse. And we got Donald Trump, who's too irresponsible to not be around his parole officer. How do we have these two choices? So there is a field of GOP contenders here. And Pat, I think you did a great job of laying out their positives. And now it's up to folks to run with it and keep an eye on it. Don't swim in it. We have to. You don't have to. But stay close to it. And uh, and we will try to keep you up to date with the changes as they roll in. Agree. It's a great country. We deserve better. It's Pat Brady. And uh, thank you, Pat, for being on. I always appreciate you. Thank you. Now he's never going to look at politics. He's simply black and white. Listen to Pat Brady. Listen to Pat Brady. He's really going to blow your mind because he's seldom wrong just right. Yeah. Listen to Listen to Pat Brady. So if I may, just to review, from denial to anger to bargaining to depression to acceptance, there are good choices for the GOP for the 2024 run to the White House. Again, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I don't care. I remain in the middle. Never been more down the middle in my life. But I can tell you this, a healthy Republican Party is not this Republican Party. The Trumplicans are not healthy. True conservatives, true conservatives with true conservative values, that's a healthy Republican Party. And wouldn't it be great to go four years without hearing Donald Trump every single day? Talking about how everybody's mean to him. Good God, grow up, man. In the meantime, let me thank Ross Cochran for producing live from my office. Let me thank you for listening. Please listen to the radio at the Big 890 WLS in Chicago or on smart devices or streamed anywhere in the world. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of Live from My Office. But please share this one with your friends in regards to picking someone else. Time to take another look at politics, whether you or I like it or not. My next guest is so graciously offered us some time. Because, you know, he doesn't like the spotlight that much. He's the former and current GOP frontrunner. And he wants to be president of the United States again. He's Donald Trump. Thank you for joining us, sir. I never stopped being president, Cochran. I never stopped. But it's strange, you know, when you called me on the phone earlier, it said scam likely. So how's it going, scam? Uh, no, 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 no. That's a good no, one, really. though, sir. Thank you. You know, thank you for having me on. It's amazing. I can make jokes under all the stress and pressure. Tremendous pressure. I'm the most unfairly treated president in the history of our country, Cochran. Yeah, I know you feel that way, but let's explore that a little, sir. Out of all your arrests, the one in Fulton County, 
that jail in Georgia seemed to be the one you had the toughest time with. You said it was a terrible experience. Very sad, very uncomfortable. Oh, it was an absolute nightmare. No, it really was. And I'll tell you what, I was so upset after I left that I immediately went on and gave the Fulton County Jail a one-star review on Yelp. That's it. One star. And that was being generous. Believe me. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding, Cochran. That place was a disaster, a total disaster. I heard that the food in the general population executive dining room was just horrible, too. They they said it just as horrible. They said it was so bad, one guy made a shank out of a fingerling potato. Wow. That is yes. a bad potato. That is very bad. Very, very, very non-right. Very bad. Very sharp. Very sharp. Frankly, Cochran, the conditions are just inhumane at Fulton County. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a freaking clue. I mean, for God's sake, the porno magazines they had in there are from the 1960s. 1960s. Porn mags. Ah. Those hairy women are all dead now. Well, that's a pleasant thought. You also said the jail was violent. Well, what'd you get exposed to there? Oh, it gets crazy in there. I heard one guy said that he found Jesus and then Jesus's cellmate beat the crap out of the guy for hitting on his wife. Can you believe that? <laughs> so your mic shot last week got most of the news coverage kind of over Friday and into the weekend. And you're using it now to make souvenirs from it. You're selling your face. Oh, yeah. You better believe I am. The Prez with Priors, the mugshot. You can get it. The Prez with Priors mugshot. Digitally trading, uh, digital trading cards. They're selling like hotcakes. Oh, bet. Well, what else do you have? Well, if you order now, you can also get a genuine limited edition Donald J. Trump autographed mugshot coffee mug. It's got the mugshot on it, and right below it says "World's Greatest Perp." Oh, makes a great gift, sir. Make for sure. perping great again. Oh, and don't forget the kids, Cochran. Of course, you always think of the kids. Make sure you get the little tykes an adorable bright orange onesie with their inmate number right below the collar and my mugshot across the back. It's perfect for Christmas. I was just going to say that. Nobody says Merry Christmas anymore. I know, it's a war on Christmas. Yeah. The biggest seller of them all is the mugshot tattoo. Temporary tattoo. Really? The ladies, they're all getting it. They're all getting it. So you should get one for your wife. It's the Trump tramp stamp. It's the hottest thing in trailer parks nationwide. Believe me. Well, you say so, sir. Let me move on. This federal judge is rejecting your request to move your election interference trial. I believe you wanted to move it to 2026. New trial date's not that far away. March 4th of next year. What's your reaction? So unfair. You know what? I, I honestly can't keep up with all the travesties of justice that our corrupt legal system is throwing at me. They're throwing a lot. Okay. I really can't. I was down in Georgia for that corrupt, corrupt fiasco. And there's the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels, the, the January 6th case. The classified documents mess. I'm going to have to get Google Calendar. My son, Eric, says, Dad, you're going to. He had tears in his eyes. Dad, you're going to have to get Google Calendar with all the trials. It's it's a it's it's a try. I can't believe it. Probably two or three more that I haven't even mentioned. And when one is down, another one just pops up. They're like skin tags. It's like I'm paying. I'm playing indictment whack-a-mole here. Well, it's got to keep you uh, on your toes because you're trying to run for president, the most important job of the world. And here you are trying to stay out of jail. I don't know how you do it, sir. Look, there's only so much a completely innocent man like me can keep track of. OK, plain and simple. Of course. Now, sir, your truth social platform, you warn congressional Republicans. Tremendous impeach, platform. Either impeach Joe Biden, you call a bum 
and a stone-cold crook or fade into oblivion. Are you threatening re-elections when you say that? No, of course not. That's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. I wasn't threatening the re-elections at all. I have a great deal of respect for them, no matter what they decide to do. Now, have I heard a lot of people say that they're nothing but spineless worms who never follow through on anything and they deserve to be out and they can't ever do the right thing ass? Of course I have. But I would never say something like that. And you know it. Never, sir. Finally, before we run out of time. I know we didn't get a chance to discuss it last time you were on, but you had your first look at your GOP competitors during that big debate days ago. What's your reaction? Losers. All losers. It was the the biggest assembly of talentless losers since the reunion tour of uh, the village people. Okay, (laughs) they're all vying to be my next VP. They're all kissing my butt. The only one I might even consider for VP is uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, easy for you to say. What's his name again? You know what? Vivek Ramaswamy. Am I saying that? It's close. His name sounds very similar to a bookshelf. They sell at Ikea. That's what I'm told. That's what I'm told. Well, again, I find myself uncomfortably uh, coming to a point where I agree with something you said. Thank you for giving us some time to talk. Former President Trump. Later, loser. 30 years plus on the airwaves. You have turned your dial to me. Now you're tuned into my podcast. It's live from my office, Steve. From Ithaca, New York, to Carolina South, W. Cochran, Steve. From Minneapolis, and then Chicago twice, top-rated shows achieved. Sit back, relax, and now listen to my show. When or wherever you are, cause you're on the go. A-list celebs with some laughs and great info. Live from my office, the Steve Cochran Podcast Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. No better place to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Subscribe and like for free. Yeah, 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 yeah. Live from my office, Steve. So glad you're with me. It's live from my office, Steve. Thank you for listening to Live from My Office, a service of Monkey Run Productions. All rights reserved. The podcast is hosted by Steve Cochran, and it's mixed, edited, and produced by me, Ross Cochran. Support the show by subscribing wherever you're listening and by telling your friends about it. Follow Steve on all social media channels, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And make sure you check out this episode's show notes for relevant information discussed during the conversations. You can also email the show directly at thecochranshow at gmail.com with any questions or comments. And that's the best place to tell us about your favorite nonprofit so we can make sure we mention them on the next episode. Steve is available for corporate speaking gigs. He would love to MC your event. And occasionally, he's funny. Thank you for listening. Head to cochranshow.com for more. <laughs>